Tank Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll be hearing from Adam Inkst of Tidbits and Take Control Books, and also from Peter Cohen, who currently hangs out at iMore.com. We'll be talking about Mavericks and lots more on the Tech Night Owl Live. Adam Inkst, welcome aboard. I guess now you're just starting to begin to recover from the Mavericks rush. <laughs> yeah, when Apple hits you with, you know, a full new operating system, new laptops, new desktop, new iPads, new iOS version, it takes a little bit to uh, to come back up for air. Have you come up for air yet or does it require a little bit more? I will say that I, I feel like I'm back to normal. Um, doesn't necessarily mean I know as much about Mavericks as I would like to yet, but I have been looking into it, as particularly the new features in the Finder, sort of the things that everyone will run into, particularly the tabs in the Finder, and tagging, document tagging. So I haven't yet installed it on my main Mac Pro, so I haven't gotten a chance to look at all the multiple monitor changes. That's the, the next thing to do. So you're getting there. Have you run into any problems? Because we're hearing of a few. Nothing has hit me, honestly, but I am not using it in a situation where the kinds of things I'm hearing reported would be. The really big one that we're tracking right now, and I need to actually go and research some more after this call, is the issue surrounding non-Western digital external hard drives being erased by Mavericks. We know Western Digital is a problem because of some of their software, but there are quite a number of people in the Apple support communities also reporting problems with Lassie, Seagate drives. So far, they all seem to be very large ones, over one terabyte in size. I haven't seen a report of anything smaller, but still, you know, I mean, that's scary as I'll get out. I'll tell you, if I had a Western Digital external drive at this point, I'd be scared in my boots. Yeah. You know, that one came up pretty quickly and the company confirmed it and, you know, and is alerting people. Basically, they, they have mailed all their customers. I don't know that this is 100% true, but, but they're saying that the problem is related to the Western digital software that bun that's bundled with and, uh, the drives and which you can run on the drives. And I think it's called Western Digital Smartware and Western Digital Raid Manager, maybe. There's one other two I can't remember the name of offhand. And they're saying that as long as you don't use those apps and you delete them from the hard drive, you should be fine. There's a little bit of, of suggestion that if you ever used those apps, your disk might be in trouble, but I don't have confirmation on that. Is this is the sort of thing that's really hard to 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 track down because you know unless you've got the drives and you've got someone who can give you really solid reports, it's it's very difficult. What you kind of see here is that Apple obviously did some low level stuff. Yeah, and it's a little surprising. Almost we don't know what's happened, but you know it's a little surprising they would have trouble with it appears to be an issue with controllers in the drives. In other words, there shouldn't be any dri drivers running that, you know, is, is unusual. Um, and obviously, most external drives are working fine. So, you know, what is it about the controllers in these particular drives? And that's one reason why it might be specific to spe certain manufacturers' external drives, because they would have particular controllers. But we just don't know yet. And, um, you know, that's the, the, that's the kind of thing we try to track down. And, uh, you know, I wish we obviously had been, able to, had been able to figure it out sooner. But, you know, you do what you can with the information that's available. You kind of wonder here whether 
or not, companies like Western Digital, when they build this drive software, they do some funky things. And when Apple undoes or does something a little different, suddenly things break. Just guess. My, my experience, and I do know people who have worked on low-level drive stuff in the past, is that the lower the level, the less obvious it is how to do something and the more you are potentially working in the dark from Apple because, you know, it's not that Apple wants to keep you in the dark or anything. It's just like there are fewer people who understand this stuff. You can end up with a, a higher likelihood of weird edge conditions that no one expected. And it might be Apple didn't expect it. It might be you didn't expect it as the developer. You know, it might be even that your hardware uh, controller again, you know, is it's code that that someone else has written yet, and you don't know what you're doing um, to inter- integrate absolutely everything exactly. And you know, I mean, again, you don't know what Apple tests on. I don't know if they have a test matrix that includes a lot of third party third party products. You know, the one that actually is a much bigger deal in my mind in some in some ways is the uh, the problems that Apple Mail has had in Mavericks particularly when working with Gmail because you know that's one where Apple didn't really have any excuse in 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 missing that we know those bugs were identified and reported during the during the testing of course Apple did release an update a mail for Mavericks update version 1.0 supposedly addressing in part the Gmail issues but also, I think affecting when you use the all mail feature, which confuses everybody about Gmail, but also the unread counts were off. And they still seem to be. The word in the street is that it definitely helped a number of people with their Gmail problems, but not reliably everybody. That there are still people who are seeing problems or people who have had problems which are are not resolved, you know, by by the update. And then there are just a bunch of other problems that people are reporting with mail, you know, issues with you know, like sending mail to groups and contacts, issues as a, the unread the unread counts and mailboxes being off. There's you can no longer apparently use mail in the IMAP mode where it does not download the messages to your to your computer, which is a, an issue if you have a relatively small SSD in your MacBook Air, for instance. So there's just you know thing after thing after thing, and yeah, you know, the update was certainly a good thing in terms of addressing some of the Gmail issues, but it did not, by any stretch of the imagination, fix all the problems people are seeing. So evidently they fixed what they presumed to be the most serious problem. Yeah, and presumably they could fix it. You know, they said, oh, yes, we see that. We'll fix it and get that out to help people. You know, and I mean, the release notes for Apple Apple software are just horrible. So, I mean, at least they said that they believed they'd fix the Gmail thing. And they said they thought they'd fix the unread mail counts, even if they didn't. And then the third item was additional, you know, reliability and bug fixes. You know, it's just, you know, just totally un, unspecific. So, part of the reason why I haven't upgraded my main machine to Mavericks is that although I don't use Apple Mail particularly, I do use it as, frankly, a backup of my all my archives on Gmail. So I would be very, very, very unhappy if installing Apple Mail on my main machine somehow caused problems with the stored mail in Gmail. Yeah, whatever's local, big deal. I've got that backed up. I've got, you know, I can always download it again, not a problem. But the stored mail on the, on the main server is the kind of the working copy that I rely on. And I really do not want anything messing with that. Well, I don't use Gmail's power user features. 
So maybe it didn't impact me as much as it impacted some people. I've also been trying other choices. So, for example, I've been running Outlook because Outlook now supports IMAP. I've been running that, but it's got a few weird things going on. Like number one of which I send a message and the sent box has it twice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. The, there are, after a long time when there were almost no email clients, it seemed that all the big ones had fallen away just about or were on their, on their last legs. We've seen this huge resurgence in email programs and you know, something like Outlook, which is really, um, you know, it's, it's essentially the new version of Entourage is an old style client. I, I don't say that in a bad way. It's just more just that it's a long-standing, full-featured client. But what we're seeing a ton of now are things like Unibox and Sparrow and Airmail and who knows what the others are. Um, but there's, there's a lot of them. And they're these very small clients that make a big deal about, about how they've got a pretty interface. And usually they try to work well with Gmail. And that's about it. <laughs> they, they really I've, don't seem to have I've any tried airmail, by the way, and I'll get into that in a moment. We have Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out a2 Hosting, and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic anytime. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237.
an e-cig revolution is sweeping across the country. But is yours American-made? Vapriate e-liquid by LaSig is. Manufactured in Arkansas with 100% USA-sourced ingredients. And when you buy American, you support local jobs. Vapriate e-liquid by LaSig is top quality at an affordable price. The very principle that once drove the American economy. Get great taste with no ash, tar, or smoke. You'll be wondering why you didn't make the change to Vapriate e-liquid by LaSig a long time ago. LaSig.com has everything you need for beginners to the advanced vaping enthusiast with a wide variety of hardware and also imported e-liquid flavors as well. Plus, LaSig smokes the competition with fast, free, same-day shipping, real people customer service, and a 30-day satisfaction guarantee. Support our country and become a vapriate at LaSig.com or call 870-525-1440, 870-525-1440. LaSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. A healthy digestive system supports a healthy immune system. And a healthy immune system protects you against infections and disease. Pro-EM1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse, available at Terragonics.com, is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM1 is a powerful liquid probiotic and is gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM1 contains three groups of beneficial microbes and enzymes to cleanse and remove toxins, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, and aids in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM1 one is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, is non-GMO, has all natural certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is never freeze-dried. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terragonics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Terragonics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. On the Tech Night Owl Live, we have Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books, and we're focusing here on Mavericks, but specifically the problems with mail for Mavericks. Now, to be very specific here, I have had one whale of a time dealing with Outlook for the Mac. It's always been for me, which may mean nothing in general, but for me, it ends up being unusable. And I try it every few months after Microsoft releases some sort of service pack update. And maybe it works a little bit better now. It doesn't crash constantly. But still, first and foremost, unusable. I, you know, I, honestly, I've never used it. <laughs> well, then you don't have to comment on it. No comments. Basically, the, I mean, the problem is, is that I was a Eudora user from about 1992 until, what, 2000, 2009, I think. And so, you know, I had tremendous workflows, huge archives, all that stuff. Very, very good at Eudora. Liked Eudora a great deal. But it was very clear that the program was dead. 
you know, and it was starting with each version of the operating system starting to become flakier and flakier. And so to the point where it's actually starting to corrupt mailboxes. You know, I can deal with an app crashing. I just relaunch it. Not a big deal. But once it starts corrupting its data, then, you know, it's got to go. So when I looked around very hard at the options at the time, this was before all the new little ones had come out, the airmails and uniboxes and whatnots, the conclusion that I came to was that pretty much everything on the market at the time, everything that was available, was a bad clone of Eudora. I mean, keep in mind, Eudora dates to 1988. It was certainly not, you know, like the first email client ever or anything, but for a long time, it was the dominant email client on the Mac. And so pretty much everything after it, including Apple Mail, including Entourage and Outlook and actually Claris Emailer, which came before Entourage, took cues from from Eudora because that was what they saw as the dominant player. And so they needed to, they needed to be sufficiently familiar that a Eudora user could use whatever the new program was. So the problem was is that as, as a power Eudora user, everything else sucked. That they didn't have the features I wanted and was familiar with in Eudora. And so I, I kind of happened on the web interface for Gmail around that time. And holy cats, it was as though someone was actually sitting down and rethinking the way email should work without just saying, oh, it's got to look like this program from 1988 and let's put our own little spin on it and drop all the power features from that program. You know, so that's what I really, really liked about Gmail on the web. And I won't say it's perfect. It's got some things that irritate me, no question. Uh, But Google keeps improving it nonstop. And because they have so much control over the back end and the mail store, they can do just fascinatingly interesting things. Like I, we just ran into this the other day. We were, we were out at Mac Tech Conference, so we got an itinerary from American Airlines, you know, confirmation and email. And there was actually a check-in button the, in the message list for that itinerary because Google could say, ah, this is an itinerary for American Airlines, and we can read the URL inside it, and we can make a special button to, to surface what this message wants you to do. You know, there's just a ton of little things like that that they can do that provide, you know, a different way of thinking about stuff. Um, and so, you know, again, features like conversations. Well, Eudora had that way back when before anyone else, but but Gmail was was also a pioneer in that. And you know, when I look at how conversations are done in Apple Mail, I think it's wrong. Well, for one thing, it sorts incorrectly in iOS, um, but even on the Mac version of Apple Mail, it's just not as good as Gmail. You see a whole lot of repeated information over and over again. It's not very compact. It's not very efficient. Every time I see a new client come out that's easy to take a look at, I take a look, and usually it lasts about five minutes until I run into some showstopper of a problem. Well, obviously, they're not listening to you. Now, a couple (laughs) of companies have tried to bring back some of the joy of Eudora. Now, let me explain, folks. Eudora was one of the earliest dedicated email clients. However, I never use it very much, so let's just leave it at that point. And I've tried some of the apps that supposedly bring it back to some degree and they don't work that well i know there was a version of thunderbird the client from the people who brought you firefox browser that was supposed to use some of the technology of eudora it didn't work so well i don't even know if it's still being developed and there was another company a third-party company 
that was going to bring out something, and that didn't do very well. Yeah, um, the Eudora Open Source Edition, which was developed by some people at Qualcomm based on Thunderbird, is a, a pretty much dead now, from what I can tell. If you go to the web page, even the, the Thunder, you know, it's hosted on the Thunderbird site, the Mozilla site, and they even have a banner saying, "We think this is dead." <laughs> um, but even Thunderbird is is not not being fully developed at this point, I believe. So yeah, and then the other one, I can't remember the current name of it, Mailforge maybe from Infinity Data Systems, I think. That they was were the one who, that was supposed they, to be like the yeah. modern day Eudora. Right, and they just—I um, think they got in over their heads. Basically, people didn't realize just how m- much thought and code was embedded in Eudora. And you know, Steve Dorner, um, who was the primary developer, had spent, well, you know, basically all his time from 1988 through what about 2006 or so, 2007, working on. On Eudora, and that was a really, you know, long run from a specific, you know, from a single person with a really strong vision of what he wanted to see. And, you know, some people didn't like Eudora legitimately because you had to think like Steve Dorner. When once you got over whatever issues you had and you started thinking like Steve Dorner, you know, Eudora was wonderful because it all made sense. But, you know, it was a mindset. Programs have mindsets. Um, but, uh, you know, that's something where, you know, Apple Mail, when it first came out, was really underfeatured. And, and it's now not underfeatured. It really does have a, a strong set of features now. Again, unlike all of these, you know, little programs that have popped up to replace, not, I won't say replace it, but, you know, to give people alternatives. Well, with email, I guess it's a question of, is there an ideal email client for everyone? Because we all have different ways of doing things. So, for example, the Gmail way doesn't impact me at all. I'm not interested. I'm interested in a very traditional, old-fashioned, maybe minimalist approach. And this might uh, be a bad thing. Then you need to go to MailSmith, which doesn't do IMAP or HTML email. Well, I want That's IMAP and HTML. <laughs> But I oh, want simple you, organization. Really I don't want the elaborate stuff. I want to have my <laughs> signatures. I don't worry about rules because I have that on our email server. I set the rules on the server so this way, no matter what client I use, everything is handled the same way. And I continue trying other solutions other than Apple's, Apple Mail. Mm-hmm. But something just hits me. Something is confusing. Something is busy. Something isn't as simple. And I go back, as imperfect as mail is, and granted, there are some Mavericks issues, and we hope there's going to be a mail for Mavericks update 2 or a 10.9.1. Regardless, it still works best for me, but not necessarily for Adam Inks. We'll have more to come on the other side of the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. 
It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Great news, pure water lovers. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has a special discount offer for all GCN listeners. You can't do better than a Big Berkey for economy. For only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. There's none better than a Big Berkey for emergency preparedness as a backup water source. And you just can't beat a Big Berkey to remove dangerous chlorine, all types of fluoride, pathogenic bacteria, cysts, parasites, and unhealthy bodies products from municipal water. Berkey water filter systems are even powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. For the gold standard in water filters, get a Big Berkey at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com and all GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. For details, call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey water filters for the love of clean water. Do you owe the IRS money that you can't pay? Are tax liens and levies ruining your life? Are you tired of being afraid just to go to the mailbox? If this describes you, then Dan Pilla can help. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla, and I've been solving tax problems for more than 30 years. In fact, I wrote the book that made it possible to negotiate settlements with the IRS, and I've helped thousands of people do exactly that. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. New changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever before eliminate their debts once and for all. There's no need for you to suffer another day with IRS debt. Call 800-346-6829. I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. These days, so many suffer from heartburn, stomach ulcers, and acid reflux, and most never realize it is the high acidity within the body that causes their discomfort. While selective diet choices can help, AlkaVision Plasma pH drops can really make a change. A few drops added to water can optimize your body's pH level, ridding you of harmful waste and acid, promoting health and restoring vibrance and energy. Healthy pH levels make all the difference. High acidity can also cause depression, insomnia, and irritability. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops bring you vital balance that can be truly life-changing. Alkalizing boosts immune response, reduces headaches and cramping, and even helps prevent bone loss. This is simple science that helps your body do what's natural. Order your AlkaVision pH Drops for just $29.95 at AlkaVision.com, A-L-K-A-Vision.com, or call 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body, supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have animings of tidbits and take control books. And we start our discussion here first with Mavericks and maybe some of the issues people are seeing like there's a problem. 
that might be with the drive software on Western digital external drives, and that can cause loss of data, so you got to be careful. I have a Western digital internal drive on my Mac. Let's the factory issue, hopefully no issues. But we got into email, and Adam, as many of you people may not know, years ago wrote a book called The Internet Starter Kit. So he's been dealing with email for about 150 years or so. In, do- well, in dog years, absolutely. At least a 1,000 years, you know. <laughs> and on the Internet, no one knows you're a dog, so I can take both of them. Okay. But, you know, as we look at this, we see, for example, that no matter who you are, you're going to have a different opinion about what kind of email system you want. There's no one client. And you kind of hope that Apple, by having a fairly simple, straightforward interface, would have a solution but evidently, maybe too many cooks in the brew, they screwed things up. We can always hope for a fix. If Adam Inks were designing the ideal email client, would you bring back Eudora or would you come up with something totally new and different? Maybe we can have a developer come in here and talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> We've, there's actually been a number of, of projects that have popped up over the years to, to, to do this. I think it's really tricky because, as you say, people use email very differently. They get very, very specific workflows in their heads, and they don't want to change. Whether or not you could have an, kind of an email construction kit where you could almost put together the features that you want, um, I don't know. From my perspective, I've gotten very fond of a lot of the things that Gmail does in their web interface. For instance, the you know the heavy reliance on conversations rather than individual messages because I get a lot of mail. I get about ten thousand messages a month. To be able to see a have them all just automatically lumped together in a conversation rather than ten or twelve or fifty individual messages makes processing my mail vastly easier. And so, so that's one thing. I also find that. Gmail sees email as a bit more of a stream rather than as as something you know where you kind of you get it, you look at it, you re- you know you ponder it, you re- you compose a reply over time, and then you send it. You know that it, that's sort of more the the traditional you know, snail mail modernization of email, you know, it's like you, you, you're, you're trying to mimic the way the post office work. And so Gmail is not all the way in this direction, but it's a little bit more like Twitter or Facebook or something like that, where there's kind of this flow of mail and flow of communications. And I like that as well. The other thing that I find just tremendously useful and yeah, I know the email clients on the Mac are supposed to be able to do this, but they just suck at searching. Gmail pulls the full power of Google searching to bear. And so I don't do much filtering. I mean, I filter mailing lists and you know things like that that are really meant to be identified in a specific way. But you know, I don't bother to try to set up complex filters otherwise because I can find anything I want with a very, very quick search that the searching is so good and so fast that I don't need to do all the assigning of metadata that was necessary in other programs to be able to get there. I do, as I said, I do use mail as a, Apple Mail as my sort of backup situation. So I do searches in there periodically. And man, is it freaking slow. Um, I mean, it's just annoying as I'll get out how, how, how slow and, and disconnected it is. 
you know, in, in Gmail, I start typing. It makes suggestions based on what I've typed and what's been in, you know, in my mail and who I've written to and all that. And then the results are there instantly. No questions. Just instantly. Every time. And, you know, every if I had to count the number of times I look at the spinning pizza of death and mail because it's thinking about something or I look at the spinner because it's working, you know, it's just nuts how, how slow that is. Well, I have a number of email accounts here. So just sticking with Gmail isn't the best solution. As again, I don't need all the features. In terms of filtering, what I mostly do is email from a certain place or in a certain category with a certain kind of subject line pre-configured, I'll put that in a special folder. So, for example, if we get a payment from a client who's advertising on the show, that goes automatically because of the way the payment is processed into a special folder. So sure. That's about as far as I get. I don't get completely insane. A lot of the thing that people, there are situations where Gmail is not appropriate for this. For instance, if you need if multiple accounts and you need to keep them separate, uh, you know, a work, a work email and, you know, a home email message, and you really don't want any mixing between them, then that's a case where Gmail is not going to help you. However, I have a bazillion email addresses and Gmail is perfectly happy to have them all either forwarded or to pick up mail from them via Pop or IMAP. And so it's a way of bringing all of my mail, wherever anyone sends it, into a single place. And I can reply using different addresses if need be, and I do do that at times. But for, for me, it's more about bringing stuff together because I don't have those artificial dis distinctions between, say, you know, home and work email. For me, it's all the same thing. So that's one thing. Um, in terms of the other, the other big change that actually Google made in Gmail, which I really like, and this is causing some of the headaches that people are running into, is that Gmail, because it's not old-style mail, does not require you to use folders, where so when you filter something into a folder, that message lives in that folder and only in that folder. And if you wanted to put it somewhere else, you'd have to make a copy of it. Whereas in Gmail, which uses labels, you could easily label something as a payment and as important as it, you know, you could you could label it with the you know the client's name, whatever you wanted, because every message can have anywhere you know any from zero to many labels. It's and almost like the Finder tags. It in is. Mavericks, it is almost you exactly can take like one the Finder thing tags and yes. give it many categories. But that can either be simple or complicated, depending on your point of view. It just depends on how you work. But the fact is, is tagging is one of those things. It's a modern concept that hierarchical filing systems, putting things in folders and putting folders inside folders, is. An old concept that was designed to map onto filing cabinets in the real world. Nothing wrong with that. It's very powerful. I personally think just fine in hierarchical, hierarchical systems. But the fact is, is that any given object is unlikely to have only one place where it makes sense be categorized. It and may so, also be a distinction without a difference in terms of an email client, though, where something that fits a specific label on Google will simply appear in a specific folder. If you have only one label. That's the problem that you run into when you start trying to use an IMAP client to look at Gmail. Because let's say you have a client label and a payment label. 
when the IMAP client looks at Gmail, the only thing that makes sense to do is to treat each of those labels as a folder. So the message appears to be in two folders simultaneously in the client. And in fact, it is. It's downloaded. It has to be downloaded twice. And this is where Apple got into trouble because they tried to do something fancy where they would say, ah, if it has multiple labels, we'll just append a little bit of XML code at the bottom of the message. So it appears like it's in multiple folders, but it's not really. They tried to do this better, but they basically didn't test it well enough. So the solution is just to go back to the way it was before? There's no going back. Mail is mail. You can't change it. You cannot. You know, I mean, the way it handles Gmail. But you can't because it's the way mail handles Gmail is radically changed in Mavericks. And Apple's not going to go back, not going to revert that code. So... Hopefully they will, they will get it working the way it's supposed to. But even then there's issues. So for instance, if you have Apple scripts that work on the contents of mailboxes, well, Gmail mailboxes no longer necessarily hold data. They may just be have this little, these little pointers claiming that there's data in there and Apple script isn't able to deal with that at the moment. So that's another one of the problems people are running into when they upgrade to Mavericks mail. Adam Inks joins us. By the way, 10 years of take control books. We'll talk about that in a moment. This is the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com to thank you for being a loyal listener, we have a limited-time freebie offer for you. Claim your free heirloom tomato seeds, just pay shipping, right now at 123freeseeds.com. These aren't ordinary seeds. These are heirloom, non-genetically modified super seeds that are open-pollinated and can be grown, harvested, and replanted endlessly. These survival seeds are actually more valuable than gold in a crisis. Go to 123freeseeds.com and you can get an airtight storage packet of 150 super seeds free while supplies last to say thank you for being a loyal listener. First come, first served. Just cover shipping. Go to 123freeseeds.com now to see if your free heirloom seeds are still available. That's 123freeseeds.com. 
big business has discovered the preparedness market, and that makes it difficult to know where to go and who to trust. MyPatriotSupply.com is owned and operated by patriots just like you, has the best prices on storable food, non-GMO seeds, water filtration devices, home canning equipment, survival and self-reliance books, and more. MyPatriotSupply.com has old-fashioned values and the absolute best customer service in the industry. Look for the deal of the day, unique affordable survival supplies that fit anyone's budget. Get same-day shipping on all orders and free shipping on orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927, 866-229-0927, or visit MyPatriotSupply.com for emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. Shop with a name you know and a name you can trust. Before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. MyPatriotSupply.com Howdy folks, Pharmacist Ben here, nutritional pharmacist and skincare chemist. If you've heard me on my daily health and wellness program, The Bright Side, you know I'm on a mission to spread the good news about the power of nutritional supplementation to correct your health care challenges and get you feeling vital and healthy once again. I want you to call 877-279-9422 and check out the powerful, affordable line of nutritional products from Longevity, the ones I take and the ones I recommend. That's 877-279-9422 or go to www.gcnminerals.com. Why simply mask your symptoms with toxic pharmaceutical drugs when you can address causes with vitamins and minerals? I suggest the Healthy Start Pack. It gives your body the essential 90 nutrients it needs. Most people notice a difference right away. You can sign up to help me spread the good news of health and wellness without drugs and maybe make a little money too. And while you're there, don't forget to check out my important video message. That's GCNminerals.com or call 877-279-9422. And remember, friends, good nutrition is good medicine. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Adam Inkst of Tidbits and Take Control Books talking to us, focusing on probably the most used application on OS X, other than maybe... Everybody's got to use an email client, and we're talking about the failures. We should also talk about something else here that Adam might not know, because we heard from another Adam, by the way of Adam Miller at GCN, our network, telling us that WZGM Asheville, North Carolina, added the Tech Night Owl to their schedule. Asheville, North Carolina, WZGM, welcome aboard. Let's continue. So... At this point, you would agree with me then that, you know, email and the browser, the most used apps, way above everything. Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, the finders, finders way up there, too. But the fact is, is that what people mostly do is use apps at this point. And they mostly use communications apps that do not require them to interact with documents. So, you know, email in the browser and then in, and and you will potentially get, you know, some other things like, you know, Twitter or Facebook or whatnot, but those are largely in the browser. So, And that's the same true that affects iOS. By the way, we have all these problems in Mail for Mavericks. What about Mail for iOS 7? Does this inherit some of those issues? 
Actually, no, it seems to be fine. <laughs> that's that's kind of what's crazy about this is that in in Mail and iOS 7, Apple's not doing some of the same kinds of things because you have such limited storage space on an iOS device that they're not trying to download everything and make it searchable and all those other things that are causing these problems. So as far as anyone I've been able to determine, you know, no one's whining about Mail and iOS 7 at all except for the fact that it sorts conversations completely wrong. I don't do conversations. I don't know why. I understand <laughs> the value of it. I just don't do it. Hmm. Huh. That's well, me. as I said, you know, if you're on a mailing list where you've got 15 messages on the same thread, boy, it's annoying as all get out to have to go through each of them independently, you know, interspersed with everything else. But I was just, you know, I actually mostly don't use mail and iOS either because I use Gmail and the Gmail apps in iOS give you full searching. So that's usually what I, I usually want to be able to read quickly and search occasionally. And so in iOS, because you can't really type enough to make it worthwhile to actually deal with email there. And most of what comes into my email that I either just need to look at it, I need to write some real reply, or I need to do something. And you can't really do the kinds of things I do on an iOS device. So it's I don't read much mail on the iOS devices. Now, one of the things to mention here with regard to what I do, the email that I receive from mailing lists, I just set up a separate folder for each mailing list, and I have a rule that funnels those messages to that folder. So when I have time to read it, I do, but it's still separated. It's not included within the body of the rest of my email. That's the way I do it. Also, I have separate accounts for each radio show. That's another way of organization. So there's an inbox for the Tech Night Out Live inbox for the PowerCast, and then another inbox where actually my wife and I send emails back and forth. Don't ask me to explain that. <laughs> well, as everyone has their own approach, and that's one of the things that's problematic with the whole situation is that it's very, very hard to provide something that's sufficiently flexible to meet everyone's needs. So whatever Apple does, whatever they try to do, some people will say, eh, no good. Other <laughs> no, than... Now... Other than mail, and we obviously see issues that you've reported and your readers have reported. We know about the Western digital external drive issues with their driver software. Other than that, anything else in Mavericks that kind of gets to you? I'm, I'm a little disappointed by iBooks, frankly. I mean, we published a book about it, and, you know, it's it's more complicated than you would think particularly when it comes to importing your existing books from iTunes and where they're located and what that means. And there's some really funky stuff with categories. I mean, what it, it kind of comes down to is that, you know, Apple's provided a book reading app, but it's really a pretty bad library app, you know, that doesn't let you do much for managing a library of books. Well, I've used it only occasionally for a few books. I'm still the kind of person who prefers the printed version, except for something like one of your take control books, where they're just very easy to navigate and they're short and they're sweet. And even then, I tend to look at my iPhone to read those things. I don't read books much on my Mac, I guess because I'm more into doing production level work on the Mac. Well, it's interesting. We, we have some stats on the formats of our books that our readers prefer. So um, we produce in PDF, in EPUB, and in Mobi, which is the, the format for the Kindle. And basically, 
what it comes down to is 60% of our readers, when when given a you know, random choice, will download the PDF version of a book. 30% will get the EPUB and 10% will get the Mobi file. So it's it's fascinating because I mean you don't really it can't you can't deduce too much from that because the PDF is very readable on the iPad and on the Mac. And this is before Mavericks. So EPUB was not readable on the Mac before Mavericks unless you had a specific program. And so so you know we can say that PDF was probably Mac use and and perhaps some iPad use. EPUB EPUB was probably some iPad use and all iPhone use because the PDFs are just too small to read well on the iPhone. And then obviously Mobi Pocket is almost all Kindle. Could be a few people using a Kindle app on a Mac. And so it's just it's an interesting interesting way of looking at it. And you know who knows if our readers are representative of anything, but uh, but those numbers have been have been you know confirmed on a couple of occasions, you know, with different books and different situations. So who knows? Okay, so before we had Kindle, before we had iBooks, we had Take Control books. Yes, ten years PDF, ago. That's why PDF all the way. <laughs> I agree. PDF all the way. Always simple. No fuss, no muss. All right. Tell us about the concept. Ten years later, what started you out to become a book publisher? And how's it worked out for you? Well, you know, we've kept doing it. So, you know, it's worked out It's worked out pretty well. You we figure you keep started. doing it until you get it right. Yeah. You know, sooner yeah. or later. Oh, man, it just keeps changing, too. But the... I think where where a lot of this started was as you know um you know Tanya and I my wife Tanya and I had had both written and edited and um just worked on a ton of books you know up to that point paper books and we were pretty aware of how broken the publishing industry was and frankly still is you know that there's a whole lot of work that goes in from authors who don't earn very much back um publishers don't have a very good sense of how books are going to sell or how to market them things like that and and we we'd done tidbits for years and years we knew about internet publishing and we had a pretty strong sense of what were, was possible with the tools available and we just thought you know this can be faster and easier and potentially more profitable for everybody if we rethink the way it's done and so you know we came up with a you know with a new approach to doing book publishing where the books were shorter, they were faster, they were easier to make because the author was writing directly into the layout as opposed to having a whole other layout step. Authors were, you know, encouraged and, ex- well, expected and encouraged to participate in, you know, in sort of marketing and promotion of the book. Um, and, you know, and we gave them 50% royalty as opposed to the usual 10 to maybe 20% that you would get for a traditional book. And by the way, so, that 10 to 20%, it's not just that. It's not flat. There are so many exceptions that basically yeah. in a lot of circumstances, you never get that amount. Right. The standard way of um, traditional public publishing, book publishing works is you get an advance. And if you're lucky, you'll earn out the advance. That The sales will be sufficient to give you some money on top of the advance. Um, whereas, you know, we, we prefer the approach where – you know, everyone's going into this with some shared risk. And if we do well, we'll all share in the rewards. So it's a 50-50 split between the author and the publisher, you know, and, and that's just straight across the board. Whatever we take in after, you know, the, sort of the expenses, which are obviously taken out before we get anything, um, we split that 50-50 with the authors. So it's it's proved 
you know, tremendously good for some people. I mean, Joe Kissel, who you've had on the show, I know, um, has written, I think I calculated 127 books in the last 10 years. I'll tell you uh, what, he's written almost as many as Brad Steiger, who's a well-known author who's written about the strange, the unknown, the paranormal, <laughs> the supernatural. Old friend of mine. Now, he's written like 170, but his books are humongous. You know, they're four or 500 pages. It's not the same thing. So we're going to continue. We're going to talk about ebooks, about the most popular titles, and maybe where you tried to do something and maybe you didn't go out so well. Adam Inks, Take Control Books and Tidbits. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this This is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document? Worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average over 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, 10 years ago, Adam Inks and Tanya Inks decided to do Take Control Books. It's available in all the various formats. We have people like Joe Kissel has written... Well, over a hundred books. I say thousands <laughs> because he's been so prolific. Now, he way. also wrote a book about how to make a Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> now, you got to tell me about that. Did the thing go over well? I get the impression it didn't, but maybe that's your bestseller. I don't know. No, it's in fact our worst seller. We're very sad about this. 
basically, you know, we'd been doing the books for a while. I can't quite remember exactly what year we we came out with it, 2005 or six, maybe. And, and you know, Joe's a bit of a foodie and, you know, we are as well. And, and at some point he said, I want to try something different. I want to do a book about cooking. And so we batted around a bunch of ideas and came up with the concept of take control of Thanksgiving dinner. Because, of course, Thanksgiving dinner is only partly about the cooking. It's a whole lot about process. It's about it's about planning and, and getting everything ready and performing actions in a certain, a certain set of steps in a certain order. And so that you can, on that fourth Thursday of November at you know, say four o'clock in the afternoon, produce dinner for, you know, five to 15 people, you know, without undue stress. And the thing to bear in mind about Thanksgiving, just as much as it's the turkey dinner, it is a social occasion where friends and family get together. So it's not just knowing when to put the things in the oven and how to baste the turkey and all the stuff I know nothing about. It's dealing with all these other aspects. And, you want to have your ducks in a row or your turkeys in a row, I suppose, um, so that when dinner actually comes, you know, when it's time to sit down, you can sit down rather than, you know, running around the kitchen like crazy trying to finish the next last thing. So, so yeah, so so basically, you know, Joe wrote this book and I remember we, we did it. He did it in the summer because we uh, a number of us tested it. We actually had Thanksgiving dinners in August. And by the way, uh, they all gained 46 pounds each. <laughs> it was mostly funny having it outside because it was, of course, too hot to have a Thanksgiving dinner inside. Um, but, you know, it, it was, it, you know, the, the book is tremendously well thought out. Um, you can literally just do what it tells you. You know, it provides recipes. It provides exact timing for the recipes. You know, it it starts out like two weeks before making sure you do this. It tells you things like how much before Thanksgiving Day you need to take your turkey out of the freezer if it's frozen because they take forever to defrost. And so there's just fact after fact after fact that, you know, Joe has figured out and conveyed in the book so that you can just, you know, follow his steps and be guaranteed that you're going to get a full boar turkey dinner at the other end. But we don't have an audience for it, as it turns out. Apparently, all of our readers know how to cook Thanksgiving dinner already. That's easy for you to say. Well, the, I mean, I think, you know, it's one of those things where we sort of had that, that thought that, oh, gee, you know, maybe people who were just starting out, you know, they'd never really cook a full Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, whatnot might, you know, might find it. But, you know, it's hard to get to inform people about that kind of thing. It's really difficult to convey that kind of information. And so, you know, you know, the, the audience of people who we do, already talked to, um, frankly, probably a little bit older, have done this before, have their plans already already figured out, and so a little bit less interested. I mean, it hasn't been it hasn't been horrible. I mean, I think the book probably sold, you know, five or six hundred copies lifetime. So it's not embarrassing or anything. And it's just too bad because it's a truly, truly good book. It is, you know, one of the best books we've ever written from the standpoint of doing something unusual and walking you through it in a guaranteed set of steps. And it's not a book you have to update every year. We updated it briefly last, or, you know, in a small way last year, just to bring it into sort of a, a modern look of, of our template and stuff like that. 
I think we fixed a couple of URLs, you know, the Butterball Turkey Hotline kind of thing. So, you know, there's a few very minor updates. But yeah, I, we sell it every year. And I, that's a, a reminder that I probably need to go and put it back on the homepage for the next few weeks just to make sure people know what's out there. Well, now you've promoted it. I guess part of the obstacle here is that Thanksgiving dinner preparation is traditional. You learn from your parents. You learn from your friends. You see them do it. You work with them. You assist them. And then eventually you go off and do it yourself. It's kind of an apprentice plan. I think that's a, that's the way it traditionally was. And I think that's fallen by the wayside a lot in the last 20 years. That that the fact is, is that in our generation, because I'm a little younger than you are, a whole lot of people don't know how to cook. People who You know what? A lot kids. of people are a little younger than I am. Let's just <laughs> think about it. All right. We get the point. But the, but the point is that people who grew up in, you know, in, in, the, uh, you know, in, the, in the 80s, in the 70s and 80s, didn't really have parents who cooked. And so they missed the entire thing. And so it's not necessarily them because they probably had to muddle through it already. But their kids are, again, potentially not not getting that kind of thing. We've lost a whole lot of that traditional pass-on of, you know, learning how to cook it, you know, with your grandmother in the kitchen kind of thing. That was some of the concept behind this. And as I said, it was, it, it, I don't think it's a bad concept, but I think it's just one of those things where we were out of our element. Not that we did a bad job because of that, but we didn't have a way of accessing the kind of people who would think, oh, that's great. We really need to do that. College students, people are just out of college. You know, college students probably going home for Christmas, going home for Thanksgiving. But if, once you've gotten your first job and you're living a thousand miles from home, if you want to do a Thanksgiving dinner, you're probably completely clueless. So, well, yeah, in our never- case, we taught our son to go with us to the restaurant. <laughs> and you want, I'll give you something here. They're not advertisers. There's this, it's not, I guess we don't call it a fast food restaurant. It's one step above fast food, Boston Market. They do chicken and turkey and stuff. And they've got these really good Thanksgiving dinners in addition to catering. If you go there Thanksgiving Day, and it's a lot of parts in the United States for $10, $12, $13, they give you a full Thanksgiving dinner with pumpkin pie. And it's just fine. You know, it doesn't have all the other elaborate stuff going on, but it's the turkey and the turkey's good. And they're not advertising on this show. I'm just telling you what we do. <laughs> You're not helping. Everyone should cook their own turkeys now. Right. Well, that's yeah. the thing. Just, yeah, the thing is you've got to ba- basically have the time to sit down and pay attention. And if you really want to recover an old tradition, and I wish we had that old tradition in our family, but, you know, everyone's scattered around the world. And unfortunately, some people are not here anymore to enjoy it. If we had that tradition, I think we'd love to just grab a copy of this book and encourage my wife and her sister to remember what their parents used to do. Yeah. Well, there's no question that it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. And, and that was part of why we did the book, because I think, honestly, it's not so much the work that people are put off by or scared by it's the, the all the possibilities for problems i mean that it's 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 a you know it's a cliche but you know the sitcoms the thanksgiving show and the sitcoms they always you know they lose the turkey or you know they don't know how to cook the turkey at all so they bought one you know the day of and of course it's frozen solid and they've got to figure out how to defrost it and they put it in their dryer and hilarity ensues you know it's it's you know, if you actually just sit down, you know, a little bit in advance, because yes, you do have to have time to buy the turkey and defrost the turkey and all that. 
you know, you can you can do this not without much difficulty. And that's what the book's goal was to say, look, here, you don't need to know anything. We will tell you how to do everything. We'll answer all the questions. You know, how big a turkey to buy, how long it needs to defrost, how long it needs to cook, how you tell when it's done. All those things where if you've never cooked a turkey before, you don't know. And and even if your mother told you in the kitchen 15 years before, you don't remember. <laughs> so, you know, if it takes the stress out of it, the hope is is that the work is actually less of the problem. You know, I'm tempted already. <laughs> I don't know. We have two small I'll send families. you a copy. You can try it. <laughs> All right. Send me a copy. All right. Or even better, invite us over. Uh, but we'd have to get on a, a plane because, you know, a, you're in upstate New York. I'm in Arizona near Phoenix. So that doesn't work. Take control of Thanksgiving dinner from that ace cook himself, Joe Kissel. Really? It sounds like something fascinating. I read a sample part of it at one time. I could see where I might have promised. Maybe we'll sell you a few more copies because of this episode. Adam makes of Take Control books and tidbits. More to come on the other side of the Tech Night Out Live. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hi, this is Gary Cooper with Midas Resources Gold and Silver. Government shutdown, inept politicians, entitlements, looming Obamacare. The death of the U.S. dollar as a global reserve currency is what nobody wants to acknowledge. We have a debt bubble that cannot be paid and will eventually crash the dollar. If you're concerned about keeping your money, why not consider storing your wealth in gold and silver? Call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130. Together, we'll discuss your options of buying gold and silver. Again, the global elite have plans for your money, and it doesn't include you. So call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130, and we'll discuss your options of buying precious metals. Also, I can send you information on how you can roll over your IRA or 401k into a precious metal IRA. Again, don't get caught with money in your account when the dollar crashes. Call me, Gary Cooper, at one 800 686 37 extension 130 nutritious food is real body armor it builds muscle burns fat improves digestion and feeds the entire body the nutrients it needs did you know the u.s government banned the hemp plant from growing in the united states and classified it as a schedule one drug to hide it behind the marijuana plant people have been confused about this plant for over 80 years and many still don't know what hemp is so now you know hemp is not marijuana and marijuana is not hemp they are different varieties of the same species hemp you 
HempUSA.org wants the world to know these basic facts and to help people understand that hemp protein powder is the best-kept health secret you need to know about. Remember, hemp protein powder contains 53% protein, is gluten-free, anti-inflammatory, non-GMO, and is loaded with nutrients. Call 888-910-4367, 888-910-4367, and see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you only at HempUSA.org. Positive results from satisfied customers of Heart and Body Extract continue to pour into our website, hbextract.com. This is Al from New Jersey. One day I saw your ad for Heart and Body Extract, and it mentioned that it would help me with angina, so I decided to order. I figure I had nothing to lose. Heart and Body Extract supplies your body with everything it needs to balance itself and maintain optimal heart and circulatory health with no negative side effects. I took the formula three times a day as directed, and I kid you not, within four days, my angina pain was completely gone. Order HB Extract by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. I could not believe it actually stopped the pain. Heart and Body Extract actually works. This is just an amazing product. Even the numbness in my hands is completely gone. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. So 10 years of Take Control books from Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control books. Published hundreds of titles, I guess. Now, overall, what are the best-selling titles? Is it always the new Mac OS? Take control of upgrading to whatever the new version of macOS is indeed, you know, one of the best-selling things that we've that we've done. I mean, it sold very, very well. However, you know, some of there's actually other books that have done shockingly well. When you actually take into account the, you know, the the actual, you know, the actual, you know, a book over time. You know, we do a book, we do an addition to a book, and we sell the you know sell we sell the new edition. Or sometimes we will actually change the title of a book because it you know the topic has changed just enough so the title doesn't quite feel right. So if you take into account all title and edition changes, the book that's the best selling one of all time is Joe's uh, Take Control of Mac OS 10 Backups, or as it's now called, Take Control of Backing Up Your Mac. Um, and that one sold about twenty one thousand copies, uh, which is pretty good. Um, the the book that's actually the best selling um, book for a single um, a single edition is um, uh, take control of S- a Scrivener two actually word processor from literature and latte we did a book with Kirk McElhern about that you know those are the those are sort of the two big obvious ones but there's a number of others that are that are close Joe's take control of iCloud Glenn Fleischman's take control of your eighty two eleven and airport network you know, close behind in terms of second place books that they have, you know, sold well over a long period of time. And honestly, there are some books that we've just dropped. They sold really well, but, you know, Joe's take control of running Windows on a Mac. We did five editions of that book, and then we just decided it didn't need to exist anymore, that the questions had just disappeared. People wanted to run Windows. They went and they bought Parallels. They bought VMware Fusion. Both of them worked. They were both fine. 
end of story. You know, there really wasn't wasn't this big concern there anymore. So, you know, sometimes sometimes we move on from a topic too. Mm. Well, who cares about Windows anymore? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, with Windows eight point one, Microsoft has done so much to kill the product. It's definitely it's definitely not something that I think Mac users are worried about anymore. So, you know, obviously people still need to do that, but, you know, it's not... I mean, we started writing that book when Apple introduced Boot Camp, which, again, um, I'm thinking like 2004, 2005, something like that. And, you know, it was definitely well before Apple had regained its feet and, and in, you know, was the, become the dominant force that it is now. So, you know, that was something where people were very, very interested in the topic and so sold well for a long time and then just stopped. And so it's interesting along those lines. I mean, what we're, you know, enjoying a great deal now is um, working with companies uh, like, you know, Literature and Latte on the Scrivener book. Um, we just did Take Control of One Password. We did Take Control of Launch Bar over the summer. Yeah, so we're actually, you know, working with a company um, to make a, you know, to write a book about a particular piece of popular software. And that's a whole lot of fun. So does the company come in there and say, we'll finance it for you or what? Or is what it just a matter of you saying, is, hey, I can sell this book fine? What they're doing is they're reselling the book themselves. Uh-huh. So because they become your main dealer. They're, they're becoming a dealer, um, a bookseller, because the thing is, is they have access to the audience and we don't. Yeah, it's a little bit of that cookbook problem. We don't have access to the people who buy cooking books, and we don't have we don't have access to you know all the one password people. Tons and tons and tons of people use one password, but how many of them could we reach? Well, much smaller number than the number of people that Agile Bits can reach. And so that's really what we're trying to to accomplish there is to say, hey, you know, the people who need help are the users of this software and who can better reach those people to inform them the help is available than the company that makes the software. Well, it sounds like a very promising way to go. Definitely. It's a win-win, you know, every which way, because usually these companies are small enough that they could not do their own documentation or they certainly couldn't do it to the level that, you know, Joe or Kirk or Sharon Zardetto or Glenn Fleischman could do. You know, we have some of the best authors in the business working with us. And so when we can, you know, match up, you know, someone who uses this software already, you know, Michael Cohen wrote about Text Expander and PDF Pen for Smile. And, uh, you know, we can match up an author with a product that they use and like and a company that, you know, wants to provide their users more detailed documentation or, or help information than they've been able to do in the past, you know, everyone benefits. And that's, that's, that's sort of the goal of all this. Let me ask you parenthetically, all those traditional computer titles, the dummies books, the complete idiots guides and all that stuff, is that still doing well or what? I haven't. Um, O'Reilly used to do a state of the computer book market uh, report. It was highly detailed and fascinating reading for anyone who's in the publishing industry. I haven't seen one for a couple of years, so I don't know in the last few years. My understanding is is that they continue to do okay, but in general, the technical publishing market you know, has been hurt. Um, the, the closing of all the border stores actually caused a huge problem just because it was, you know, 300 or 400 stores in the U.S. That and suddenly they stopped carried a lot of those books. Precisely. And just, just the loss of the shelf space alone was, was the problem there. So 
you know, I haven't talked to people who've been working on those books or, you know, writing for them or editing them in, in a while. So I don't, I haven't heard any inside information, but certainly my gut feeling is that the era in which they became huge is over. That the era of having the Borders and Barnes and Noble superstores, and that's where you went to get your computer books. And they had these huge computer book sections, and you know, having a big series, you know, where you'd have all those dummies books or all those for idiots books, you know, stacked next to each other or on an end cap um, at the end of an aisle, um, just doesn't happen as much anymore. And you know, the, the border stores are gone. Barnes and Noble's not doing so well. You know, if you're in Amazon, you know, it's being in Amazon is something that, you know, it's not a bad idea, but you're in Amazon with a bazillion other products. And so you are not going to be found in the same way that you would be in a bookstore. So, you know, it's like uh, you're in Walmart a hundred times over. Precisely. You're in this miles and miles of storefronts. And the only way you can search out a product is pretty much to know it already. Yes. Because browsing doesn't work very well at Amazon. There's too much stuff there. And this is one of the things that I think we've been very successful with because we've always focused on is, is maintaining a, a, a direct relationship with our customers. You know, our readers know who we are. They're usually buying the books from us. We sell some from Amazon and the iBookstore and through O'Reilly and Barnes and & Noble and all that. It's less than 10% of our sales. So we sell 90% of our books directly to readers. And so that kind of a relationship means that, you know, first of all, like the borders closing of closing border stores, we didn't even notice. Didn't hurt us in the slightest. I'm noticing the clock on the wall, my friend. Where can we get more information about the things you do? People can come to takecontrolbooks.com to find all of those books. And if you want to see what we're writing about Mavericks, including stuff on the Finder tabs, we've got an article coming out probably today on tagging, um, another one on contacts, um, go to tidbits.com. Lots and lots of good stuff there, too. Adam Inks, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Anytime, Gene. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Curious about what comes next? Next is the feeling of vulnerability you get after you arrive home to discover your house has been ransacked by burglars. Fool the bad guys with a new improved fake TV. 
You asked for it. We listened. And we made our new fake TV three times brighter than our previous model. The brightness of our new fake TV is equivalent to a 40-inch TV. It simulates the color and motion of a real TV while you're away from home. And when burglars think someone is home watching television, they're likely to pass your house and move on to an easier target. The new, brighter Fake TV is only $39.95 and includes free shipping. Go to faketv.com or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. That's 877-532-5388 or go to faketv.com. Fake TV, the burglar deterrent. Which do you love best, Thanksgiving dinner or leftovers? The meal takes such time and effort, you wish it was easier so you could have it more often. Well, right now it is, right now you can. Imagine your family enjoying the ultimate comfort food easily during stressed out times of a disaster or emergency, or outdoors while camping or hiking. The freeze-dried feast from Freeze-Dry Guy is a special case of Thanksgiving dinner, ready for you any day of the year for at least 25 years. Freeze-dried turkey tetrazzini, green beans, dehydrated potatoes, and sweet potatoes. Yes, even dessert. This delicious feast is ready to eat when you want or need it most easily in just minutes. Go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663, 866-404-FOOD. There's free shipping, plus your family could win a free traditional Thanksgiving dinner. Go now to freezedryguy.com. It's that time of year again, and you know what that means. Cold and flu season. (laughs) Don't worry. HerbalHealer.com has you and your loved ones covered with our safe and natural products. Cold and flu fighters like beta-glucans, olive leaf antiviral capsules, grapefruit seed extract, HHA four-herb capsules, elderberry power, and respirate. And don't forget about oregacillin for the lungs, normally $34.95, on sale now for only $25. Vitamin D3, 120-count soft gels, only $9. Whole body and homeopathic detoxes for the lungs, kidneys, liver, lymph, and brain, normally $26.95, now just $20. HerbalHealer.com also offers correspondence courses to teach you how to handle your health naturally. And as always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Visit HerbalHealer.com and click the Winter Specials button to save on our natural cold and flu fighting products. HerbalHealer.com, healing the world with nature, one person at a time, since 1988. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. We have Peter Cohen joining us once again on the Tech Night Out Live. And currently, you are tied in with iMore.com, right? That is correct. I am managing editor of iMore.com. So that makes you kind of a boss sort of person. <laughs> well, uh, subordinate to Rene Ritchie, who is our esteemed editor-in-chief, yes. So you're number two. Uh, yes. With a bullet. And you go to work with those sunglasses. Uh, well, I, my work is from home, so yes to sunglasses, no to pants. Well, I don't want to get into this any deeper because this is a family radio show. <laughs> well, I, I wear underwear. I just don't wear pants whenever I can avoid it. I'm infinitely more productive, Gene. I'm not wearing pants now. Oh. <laughs> so I have they have the light on your Mac there with the webcam, and there are people watching you now. 
Oh, they would see me. They would see me perfectly presentable. I'm dressed from from the uh, from from the waist up. You know, I remember some years ago, a friend of mine, we were working at a radio station in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, a lot of years ago. And I was the assistant news director and he was the news director. And he also had an anchor gig at a local TV station. And you'd see him on there and he's wearing his suit and look presentable. And then they pull away the table and he's wearing shorts. Mm-hmm. So now all the illusions we ever had about how TV anchors present themselves was totally destroyed by this guy's appearance. Before we destroy anything else, such yes. as the logic of this broadcast. Now, or my, our poor listeners' psyches. Well, that's all right. We're busy with that. Once we deal with our own psyches, we'll deal with our listeners' psyches. Okay. So let's talk about OS Ten Mavericks. Now, we had Adam Inkston before you, so you can get a sense of his opinions about things. Now, we've heard of this one particular problem involving external Western digital drives that are using their own software. Yes, apparently Western Digital has sent an email to some of its users indicating that um, they have uh, discovered a, a problem involving Mavericks and and their software. So um, very pecu- very peculiar. We haven't heard anything from Apple corroborating this. Uh, this is purely from Western Digital, but it was of, uh, not concerned to them to uh, um, uh, to let their their users know. So. You know, it, it is, for all intents and purposes, a, a real thing. Isn't it always funny that Apple seldom responds in cases like that? And this is not the first OS ten release that's had a problem with third-party hard drives. I remember, what was it, Tiger? Or even before Tiger, there was an issue. I don't remember specifically, Gene. But, yeah, I mean, every new operating system rollout, it is it should not be unexpected to, to run into issues with uh, 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 third-party hardware, third-party software, and third-party services. I mean, Mavericks, uh, uh, people who have upgraded to Mavericks have had a rough transition with Gmail in some cases because um, uh, Google's uh, implementation of the IMAP protocol uh, which is commonly used in email is is non-standard, and as a result, it's created some problems for uh, people who rely on Gmail, and that's more and more people these days. I mean, besides having a personal Gmail account, um, uh, many businesses, many small and medium-sized businesses, and even some corporate uh, businesses uh, have have elected to use uh, Gmail's business services or uh, Google's business services, including Gmail, because it you know offloads that. IT management uh, from having to do it internally. You know, everyone is subject to the same problems in that respect. So, uh, look, you know, I, I think as with all things, unless you have a compelling reason to upgrade to Mavericks, uh, you probably shouldn't upgrade to Mavericks until you know that everything that you're going to do is going to work okay. Well, of course, people like us, we have to do it. That's our line of work. We have to uh, sacrifice absolutely. our computers to possible bugs. I haven't had that situation. And as I mentioned to Adam, because we had rather a long discussion about email, I'm not a big user of Gmail at all. Lately, just for the heck of it, I've been trying Outlook.com from Microsoft because they support IMAP and on mobile devices, Active Sync. It comes in like an exchange. So you get push email on an iPhone or an iPad. It's got some funky stuff going on, like the sent box. I send a message and it will be repeated. 
you know, some funky stuff, but you can also set up your domain services with Microsoft to have it use your domain through their email system, kind of like Google Apps and Google, the Google business services. Yeah, I mean Microsoft more and more is trying to offer their um uh their their self as a as a service company as opposed to just a software company. Take a look at what they're doing with Office 365. I mean Office 365, their Office suite for Windows is uh, for all intents and purposes a software as a service. It's it's something that you pay an annual subscription fee for, although you do download apps to your computer and you know you can use those apps free of an internet connection um at least for a little while. You know, you are being metered in terms of what you can do by having an online subscription. And if that subscription expires, then you can no longer access the apps. It's the same approach that Adobe has taken uh, with its creative cloud apps, which are going to be henceforth the way that you are going to be able to uh, use Adobe's creative software like Photoshop and InDesign and Illustrator and all those apps. So this is a model that more and more companies are adopting because there is a recurrent um, subscription fee available in it for them so they don't have to convince people every two or three years to do a monolithic software upgrade. They can count on subscription revenue coming in month after month and um, uh, getting that that subscription revenue not only to improve their bottom line but also to put forth uh, for research and development on new versions which that they can then roll out incrementally instead of doing these monolithic uh, updates every couple of years. Now, on the surface, it would seem to be cheaper to do it that way. I think it's $50 a month for the Adobe Creative Suite, and you're getting what they normally sell you for $2,500, you know, this master suite of apps. So paying $600 a year doesn't seem so bad if you consider it that way, because it's going to be like getting a $2,500 application suite with all the bells and whistles every four years. Yeah, it's actually the annual plan is actually $50 a month uh right now if you are a Creative Suite customer. Uh or $50 uh yeah, $50 a month right now uh, annually. Um so it's you know th- there can be some benefit if uh, you are a customer, uh, you know, in the case of Adobe, for example, or even Microsoft, um, who, who does typically upgrade as soon as the upgrade is available or sh- fairly shortly after the upgrade is available. But if you've been using the same version of Creative Suite on your computer for five or six years and you haven't upgraded that computer too much, you may not really see a benefit in doing this. You know, there, there may, there, it may not make sense, uh, financially for you to, uh, to invest in a monthly subscription. On the other hand, they are selling the earlier version still, or at least they were when they first introduced the Creative Cloud. So if you don't need the latest and greatest, you could just buy a full version of the application and do what you will. Yeah, but that's a short-term, you know, thing. I, how how long do you really think that that these companies are going to offer legacy software available for for their customers? And what's more, they've made it clear. Look, this is the end of the road for these apps. We'll put some time and effort into making sure that they're compatible, but we're not going to break our backs. We're not going to add new features to them. You know, we're certainly not going to update them indefinitely. So eventually, there is going to be a breaking point where. Things are going to change enough on your desktop that you're going to have to move into Creative Cloud if you want to keep using our software. It's a matter of judging whether you want to commit yourself forever, which is what it is if you buy cloud-based software, or you buy it now knowing there is a finite life cycle. If it's not just getting the updates, it is some point, four or five years hence, whatever, Apple will have a software upgrade that will break it forever. Yes, 
Exactly. I mean, you know, it's it's an it, change is inevitable in the software business for sure, uh, and in the computer business in general. So, um, just because it works today is no guarantee that it's going to work tomorrow. But what we do know is that we have Peter Cohen here. He's managing editor of iMore at iMore.com, which is a great tech news review site. Check it out. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. That's right. General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these specials. A 14 by 21 foot shop for under 6000 or a 50 by 100 for under 30000 You heard right. That's 5000 square feet under $30,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 100 foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic lows, you can't afford to wait. So call 866-91-STEEL. 866-91-STEEL. That's 866-917-8335. An e-cig revolution is sweeping across the country. But is yours American-made? Vapriate e-liquid by LaSig is. Manufactured in Arkansas with 100% USA-sourced ingredients. And when you buy American, you support local jobs. Vapriate e-liquid by LaSig is top quality at an affordable price. The very principle that once drove the American economy. Get great taste with no ash, tar, or smoke. You'll be wondering why you didn't make the change to Vapriate e-liquid by LaSig a long time ago. LaSig.com has everything you need for beginners to the advanced vaping enthusiast with a wide variety of hardware and also imported e-liquid flavors as well. Plus, LaSig smokes the competition with fast, free, same-day shipping, real people customer service, and a 30-day satisfaction guarantee. Support our country and become a vapriate at LaSig.com or call 870-525-1440. 870-525-1440. LaSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. 
Hi, my name is DeRay, suffering from migraines, having Botox injections in my head and neck to alleviate pain, costing $1,500 out of my pocket. I discovered Dr. Ortman and Gentle Touch Chiropractic Adjustment called Nuka. I'm migraine-free since my first adjustment. Thanks for giving me my life back, Dr. Ortman. I wish they prescribed you instead of Botox. Thanks, DeRay. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the solution. We design a nutritional supplement program the body can handle actually absorb, providing nutrients targeting the problem area. Between Nuka and Nutrition, we will have you on the road to a faster and more permanent recovery. Look us up on the web at drwartman.com or call 952-303-9124. Let us help you feel better faster. Wellspring Spinal Care at 952-303-9124. Again, that's 952-303-9124 or on the web at drortman.com. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg. We have Peter Cohen He's managing editor of iMore at iMore.com. And, of course, he's worked all over the place over the years, so he has a wealth of experience. So we're talking right now. We started with Mavericks and some bugs, but we got into subscription software, the new software model, which is either, one, you buy the apps real cheap, which is very typical of what Apple's doing with a lot of their products, or you pay forever. You pay a fairly modest fee, like I think for Live 365, it's like $100 a year. For Adobe Creative Suite, it's $600 a year on an annual subscription. And if you get Apple's consumer-level apps, it's free. Um, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. You know, it's one of the benefits, I guess, of, of being an Office 365 customer is that you will get uh, Microsoft Office for free on your Mac. I think it's a two-user license. Uh, so you can install it up on, onto two Macs if you've got a single license for uh, uh, for Creative Suite. I mean, for uh, for Office 365. Actually, I heard three, but we'll go into that. The point oh, being... Free. okay. Yeah, but the point being here is actually it's a good value as long as you know that as new upgrades come out, they're not going to call you up and say, okay, that's another $125. It is the 100 bucks a year until they change the price. Until they change the price. Exactly right. And I and wonder that- here if after what Apple is doing, that will encourage companies with expensive software to keep the prices down. I mean, obviously, Microsoft needs that money. Microsoft can't afford to give away software, except maybe as a brief promotion. Yeah, because Microsoft is at its essence a software company. And this is a big difference between Microsoft and Apple. You know, Apple uh, certainly gets a lot of money uh, from uh, software services and the, the, the revenue that it gets through iTunes. In its latest quarterly uh, report, Apple said that it got about $4.2 billion in revenue from those sources. And that's a lot of money anyway you slice it, but that's also only about 11% of their bottom line. You know, they had over $37 billion in revenue for that quarter. The vast majority of it is in hardware. So Apple is predominantly a hardware company. That's where they see most of their revenue come from. And of that, most of that is in iOS devices, iPads and iPhones. Uh, even the, uh, the, 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 the venerable Mac, you know, now and it's what, 20, 29th year. God, that's terrifying. You know, time uh, flies when you're having fun. 
I, it's true, you know, is, is, is only a line item on, on Apple's balance sheets these days. Um, compare that to Microsoft. The vast majority of Microsoft's um, uh, billions that it rakes in every quarter are through software and services that it offers its customers. Uh, so Apple, for example, can afford to give away uh, pages, uh, uh, keynote and numbers, the iWork suite, which it just announced that it's doing last, th- this past month, as opposed to Microsoft, which has to keep charging people for Office because that's how it makes money. It's a very interesting, uh, uh, change, very interesting difference in how those two companies do business. Well, also we can look at the long-term strategy and whether Microsoft might be impacted, at least from the consumer level for Office apps. But here's the issue we have. With iWork, a lot of criticisms made, and you heard about this, for the fact that in order to develop a new 64-bit code base, make iWork totally compatible in the cloud and iCloud for iOS and for the Mac, a number of features didn't make the transition. They're going to be restored. But I kind of think Apple suffered a bit in public relations because this wasn't up front. It came out in a support document. Uh, yes, indeed. You know, I, it, it's it's uh, it's interesting because this isn't unprecedented at all. Um, Apple has done this before. Most recently, I think, with Final Cut X, the uh, or Final Cut Ten, the the sixty four bit rework of its Pro Video um, editing application that uh, uh, it released in two thousand and eleven. There were howls of derision from the Pro Video market. They had gotten very used to the way that Final Cut Pro Seven worked, and they weren't expecting either a major interface face rework or for the new version to break compatibility um, with a lot of the um, the, the functionality uh, that they had expected before. So we, we also saw this on the consumer side when Apple introduced iMovie 08. Before then, iMovie had this uh, sort of satellite ecosystem of plugins that worked and, um, you know, third-party software that was designed to work with iMovie. All that broke when iMovie 08 came out, and that was a radical redesign of the interface as well. Sometimes uh, Apple decides that for the sake of simplicity, for the sake of usability, it has to restart with a fresh sheet of paper instead of just adding on to what it's done before. Um, and that's certainly the case with the new iWork apps. There are a major departure from what was done before, but you know, if you look at it under the hood, there's a lot more consistency in user interface between pages, keynote, and numbers on Mac um, as compared to iOS. And that wasn't the case before. There were very different apps that did similar things, uh, but there was no binary compatibility between file formats, for example. You had to actually, sort of in a convoluted way, export the files to get them to work on uh, the pages uh, that might be running on your iPad. Now it's seamless. Now it's in the cloud. It's in iCloud. You open up your file on an iPad. It looks exactly the same as it does on your Mac. And what's more, Apple has also introduced a beta version of software that runs on the web. So if you're um, collaborating with somebody who doesn't even use a Mac, let's say, they they can uh, uh, log on to these files on the web and look at them and make changes. Um, or if you're away from your Mac and your iPad and you need to access, you just log in your iCloud account, there the app is, you can, you can pick up and go. So um, as Apple giveth, Apple taketh away as well. Now, in recent days with iWork for the cloud, still in beta, they added some more collaboration features, finally added a printing capability. In other words, they're fleshing it out. But you see, this is the problem we had with iMovie. This is the problem we had with Final Cut Pro 10 or Final Cut Pro X. 
What Apple should have done was come up front and say, let's just tell you this. They could have said this in one sentence or two sentences at the rollout. You know, listen, folks, this is a great new version, but because we built a new code base and everything, some features are not quite available yet. They'll be added later, and we'll put up a technical document so you know what's going on. I mean, they have a technical document up there at Apple's site if you want to know about translating your office files, your Mac or Windows Office files from Microsoft to iWork. It tells you exactly what translates either way and what doesn't. Really detailed documents so you know in advance what's going to happen. But with this, they didn't tell you in advance. It was just a nasty surprise. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, Apple unfortunately has a, a a long and storied history of doing that as well. Apple doesn't like to tip its hat or uh, uh, tip its hand and let you know what's coming down the pike. It it enjoys that element of surprise. I think sometimes a little too much, um, and and uh, you see disruption there. You know, in the case of the iWork apps uh, in particular, in the case of Pages especially. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of complaints from people who aren't just casual iWork users. They're people who, um, are professionals, uh, small business owners, um, independent contractors, freelancers, um, who have developed automated workflows around pages as a document creation tool, um, that heavily leverage AppleScript, which is a technology that has been in Apple's operating system since the classic Mac days. This is something that debuted, I think, with Mac uh, System 7.5. Um, and, you know, it's it's become a staple of workflow automation for a lot of really experienced, technically proficient Mac users. Um, AppleScript is literally gone uh, from, from pages and from numbers now. And that's creating a lot of disruption uh, for customers who... Um, uh, who have tried the new versions. The good news, if there is good news to be had here, it's that Apple has not um, uh, completely discontinued the older numbers uh, or the older iWork applications. If you've installed the newer iWork applications after upgrading to Mavericks, you will find that the older versions, the legacy versions, if you will, are still on your hard drive. So um, you can still use... Uh, the iWork 09 versions of Pages, Numbers, and Keynote, you're just not going to see the um, improved workflow uh, elements for iCloud or for iOS, you know, that sort of stuff. So uh, there are obviously, you're, you're still working with the same limitations that you've always had uh, with those apps, but uh, it does provide you with some level of backward compatibility so you can still continue to use uh, what you're accustomed to, at least until Apple gets a chance to reintegrate some of these missing features, which it plans to, but its timetable to do that is six months. So uh, that's a lot longer than a lot of people can wait. They'll have to keep using these older versions until the new ones are ready to go. Well, it doesn't cost you anything, so stick with the older version. But again, Apple could have been more forthcoming because people may have already converted their apps. But then when you look at something like this, you wonder what percentage of people are really being impacted because a lot of the existing features of pages and numbers and keynote, they're people who don't use them. But a lot of consumers can do basic writing, simple layout and stuff like that, stuff that's not really involved and it's not a problem to migrate. We've got a lot more to come with Peter Cohen on the other side of the Tech Night Out Live.
Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. A healthy digestive system supports a healthy immune system. And a healthy immune system protects you against infections and disease. Pro-EM1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse, available at Terraganics.com, is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM1 is a powerful liquid probiotic and is gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM1 contains three groups of beneficial microbes and enzymes to cleanse and remove toxins, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, and aids in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, is non-GMO, has all natural certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is never freeze-dried. Pro-EM1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM1, the raw probiotic. Welcome back to Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, it's Uncle Gene. Yeah, it's him. With Peter Cohen of iMore.com, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. What I was saying when we broke for our previous break, that in terms of an office suite, most people probably would have no problem going to the free iWork apps because they don't use those features. They don't use Apple Script. They don't need to put objects into headers and footers. They don't customize the toolbars. You get the point that for a lot of basic tasks, it's just fine. If you're just a writer and all you need is the track changes feature and the basic editing, it doesn't really matter. And that's another issue too. And one that Microsoft has to be up nights worrying about is, of all the people who use Office, what percentage of those people could use iWork, either in the cloud, either on an iOS device or on a Mac? What percentage are giving up nothing to do it that way and getting, you know, half-decent compatibility with their old Office documents? You know, 
This is a really good point. Um, I think that for a lot of casual users, um, the new version of iWork is is going to be a lot better. And I, it is. I mean, it's an easier it, it's an easier suite of applications to use. The integration, like I said, is fabulous. Been reworked with sixty four bit uh, support throughout. You've got the iCloud capability. You've got the um, uh, binary compatibility with with iOS. So uh, swapping files between an iPad or an iPhone and uh, and and Mac is 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 a lead pipe cinch. Uh, but, you know, Office remains the standard in a lot of corporate environments. And for a lot of people who are working with clients that have Office, they they would are people who are working from home uh, that would just prefer to use Office. You know, Office is still the 800-pound gorilla of productivity software. And the fact that Apple's giving uh, iWork away doesn't change that. But what it does do is it removes the dependency that Apple had before on Microsoft to provide that software or that capability for their customers. And what's more, Microsoft um, has been dragging its feet on releasing an Office work, uh, an Office version uh, for iOS. If you have Office 365, you can get some limited capability on your phone, but you're basically working by remote control on your phone. It's it's kind of an awkward uh, situation. We're still waiting for a native Office suite of applications for the iPad, but you know. Microsoft and, and, and Apple are, are at loggerheads here because Microsoft has, has its tablet product called Surface, and it includes Office on the Surface. So what incentive is there, uh, really, for Microsoft to get incremental revenue, as much revenue as it might get from an iOS version, uh, when that puts its own tablet solution at a decided disadvantage compared to the iPad, uh, if those apps were available? So, um, you know, th- this helps Apple solve that problem by offering... Uh, a, a productivity software suite um, for its products that work really seamlessly regardless of what application or what device you're using. But you have to also look at the fact that a year from now, as they add more and more features to the iWork suite, it may become even more viable for small businesses to say, look, I could still get basic compatibility with simple Word documents, so maybe I should make the move. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the iWork applications can export and import Word document. I mean, uh, Office documents. That's not a problem. The question is just how many hoops do you want to jump through to be able to get that compatibility? And are you willing to deal with uh, the inevitable uh, compatibility issues that pop up, the formatting problems? You know, it isn't necessarily a seamless transition from Keynote to PowerPoint or from Word um, to Pages. Well, as I said, there's a set of documents on Apple's site, which shows you exactly the results of translating Office documents back and forth among the iWork documents. Now, when Apple made Mavericks free, and it made sense because if you're selling it for $19.99, it might as well be free, and you're giving iOS free. Does that also stick it to Microsoft a little bit too? Microsoft is going to charge you $199 for Windows 8. We're 8.1 now, but you can get OS 10 Mavericks free forever when you buy a new Mac. You'll get Maverick successor. You'll get whatever it's called. You know, OS 10.10, who's among it? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's an interesting move, and, and uh, it's worth pointing out that Apple stands to lose a lot of money on this deal. Apple uh, told investors at its latest conference call that it's going to um, uh, have a $900 million uh, write-down over the next few years to write off the cost of giving the software away. So Apple is sacrificing a bit of revenue here. But for the long term, Apple wants to get um, Mac users um, on the same 
level as iOS users, that is accustomed to updating their machines annually when uh, they roll out new operating system versions and being able to crow as a result about how much of their user base has upgraded to the latest and greatest version. Uh, Apple's made it as painless as possible for Ma- for people to upgrade to Mavericks, not only by making it free, but also making it backward compatible to machines that were built as late as 2007. You know, that's, that's, that's a good indication that Apple really uh, wants its Mac user base to kind of get into the same mindset as its iOS user base. And it, it gives Ma- Apple a very strategic advantage for the Macintosh compared to Windows, which Microsoft has had a hellacious time over the past few years uh, of convincing uh, more than a limited number of its user base to upgrade. You know, the, the uh, analysts are disappointed quarter after quarter with the anemic adoption rates of Windows 8. Yes, and people, like I've said, people who were buying new computers and were in the twilight of the PC era, and they say, well, the Macs are expensive, but wait a minute, the operating system updates are free. I get an office suite free. I get not to have to necessarily worry about the annual virus software subscription, at least not for most people, suddenly the Mac becomes a better viable proposition. Yeah. Absolutely, you know it's 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 a it's a it's a good value proposition for um, uh, for Mac and iOS users alike. The other question I of course have is going back to Mavericks here. We had the issue with Western Digital, of course the issue with Mail for Mavericks. Before we go on to other topics, any other bugs or issues that are bothering the people out there? Well, uh, you know, it, it actually remind me as you bring up Mail for Mavericks, um, there's an interesting idiosyncrasy. Uh, if you've upgraded to the new versions of the iWork apps um, on, on Mavericks um, and you try to send uh, or for that matter, or try to send to a Gmail account or even from a Gmail account, Google won't let you do it. Google's Gmail servers actually refuse to do it because they recognize the new file format as a package, which is something that they don't want to deliver because I guess their servers aren't um, easily capable of seeing what's inside. So it might be a virus or Trojan horse payload or some kind of malware payload. Um, And uh, they bounce it back. Um, It's really interesting. I actually tried to send uh, some files almost immediately after I upgraded um, to the new version of the iWork uh, apps uh, to somebody and was refused. And my only solution was to actually save the file in the older file format, which uh, is just a singular file, something that Gmail servers don't have a problem with. So if you've had this problem, now you know what the problem is. The problem is that uh, uh, Gmail servers, at least as of today, um, are are having some trouble um, uh, with the new iWork file formats. Supposedly, when you send email, there shouldn't be a problem with anything. It should just go. In, in a perfect world, yeah. This is not a perfect world. <laughs> no, this is not. <laughs> oh, well. There you go. There you go. Anyway. All right. Looking back at Mavericks otherwise... To me, it seems like a pretty good upgrade. It really does. Obviously, I don't have a Western Digital external drive. I have an internal Western Digital drive on my 27-inch iMac, but I'm not worried about that because I think it's the Seagates that had the recall. The Seagates, yes. Okay. All right. And I think there's an extended warranty program for that anyway. All right. I'm finding that 
It's a little snappier, just as it is promised. It seems that maybe the battery is not dying as quickly on a 2010 17-inch MacBook Pro. So the realization of better battery life is there. But looking at the future of the Mac platform, how long does this slow erosion of Mac and PC sales continue before it becomes a major erosion? That's the big question we'll pursue in our next segment with Peter Cohen. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. Great news, pure water lovers. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has a special discount offer for all GCN listeners. You can't do better than a Big Berkey for economy. For only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. There's none better than a Big Berkey for emergency preparedness as a backup water source. And you just can't beat a Big Berkey to remove dangerous chlorine, all types of fluoride, pathogenic bacteria, cysts, parasites, and unhealthy byproducts from municipal water. Berkey water filter systems are even powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. For the gold standard in water filters, get a Big Berkey at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com and all GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. For details, call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters for the love of clean water. 
My name is Bruno. I'm 52 years old. I've tried different protein powders over the years and they've all tasted pretty bad. I tried One World Whey and found it to be delicious. After 10 weeks on One World Whey, my wife commented, you have more muscles and you're leaner than when you were 20 years old. My body has changed dramatically. I'm a cyclist. Normally I'll ride two days on and take two days off. After being on One World Whey, I rode 10 days in a row in over 100 degree heat and then I take another two servings of One World Whey and then work out at the gym for another hour and a half. I just couldn't believe these results. My normal muscle tightness and soreness after working out are virtually gone. Don't take my word for it. One World Way comes in single servings. Just give it a try. For a health and taste sensation you'll love, call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit oneworldway.com. That's oneworld, W-H-E-Y.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. On the Tech Night Out Live, our friend Peter Cohen from iMore.com, where he's managing editor, and it's a big tech site, and it does news and reviews. So, <laughs> Peter, the inevitable erosion, the twilight of the PC era, are we going to see in a few years Mac sales, PC sales, half as much as they are now? You know, I don't think so. I think that, that Mac sales, um, the, 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 the downward spiral of Mac sales are... Uh, not as dire as they might first appear, especially when you compare them to the slowdown in, um, uh, in PC sales, which is even at a steeper dive, um, than, uh, than Mac sales are. Um, uh, look, there's no question that, that we are living in a time when tablets, whether they're running iOS or Android or even Windows, um, are becoming, are, are sort of ascendant. Uh, that's where a lot of the innovation in software is. That's certainly where a lot of the innovation uh, in hardware is. And uh, we're seeing more and more consumers uh, and businesses decide that tablets are the right devices for them to use. Um, so that's biting into uh, Mac and PC sales alike. Now, from Tim Cook's perspective, he doesn't mind that because uh, he's he's gone on the record as saying, look, I, I, I couldn't care less about cannibalization as long as other Apple products are cannibalizing the sales of Macintoshes. Um, and I certainly understand this point. You know, if Apple's selling an iPad uh, to a customer who might otherwise have bought a MacBook, well, you know, they're still selling an iPad um, and they're still locking um, uh, that customer into their ecosystem. But, you know, we, we saw a few years ago that it looked like the future of, of computing seemed to be going in the direction of, of these scrawny little laptops called netbooks. Um, and that hasn't gone anywhere. And Apple was repeatedly criticized for not bringing a netbook to market. But Apple countered with the iPad and then literally reinvented the tablet market from the ground up and, and dominated it for quite some time. So I, I'm not as concerned with falling Mac sales. I think that the Mac is uh, still a vital platform and will be for a very long time. Um, and it's certainly in no danger of, uh, of being discontinued. After all, in order to uh, uh, develop a product for iOS, you need to do it on a Macintosh. <laughs> so it's, it's a crucial part of the ecosystem. People forget uh, lot- that. That's the fact right there. 
that it's absolutely all, true. every single app, all one million apps on the iOS were built on Macs. But that's not going to be that way all the time. Don't you think that eventually Apple's going to have an Xcode for iPad? That's a very interesting question. You know, I don't see it supplanting. I don't see iOS development on iOS supplanting Mac development uh, until uh, there is a, first of all, a multi-display uh, solution that works really well. And I'm not talking about AirPlay because that introduces lag. But, you know, a lot of the developers who I talk to uh, have two or three screens connected to a single computer on their desk. You know, they, they may have their code up on one screen and they may use another one for palettes for certain applications applications that they're working with, and they may put up uh, a third screen for actually prototyping the applications that they're working on or, you know, staying connected to Twitter or whatever it else that they it is that they do uh, throughout the day. That's not something that you can easily do on an iPad at this point, and, and let alone the physical act of typing. I mean, typing on a glass screen uh, is cumbersome. I, I know very few people who can do it with the level of proficiency that they can do it on a physical keyboard. And sure, you can connect an iPad to a Bluetooth keyboard, but it's one more step removed. You know, I, I think that that there is a huge comfort level with uh, with a PC or a Mac, and you know, the screen, the keyboard, the trackpad, or the mouse. Um, and I think that that's going to remain for some time to come. Now, one of the things we might get, depending on how things go, is get an iPad Air for my wife. And if we do, I probably will get her a cover that has a built-in keyboard, like a Logitech or something. And maybe then try how a physical keyboard would work within the existing iPad structure. I don't mean like getting one of those larger wireless keyboards and setting the thing up on some kind of mount or something. I mean, just getting a cover with a keyboard. Yeah, you know, I've used keyboard covers before. Um, they certainly have their place. You know, on, on one hand, I kind of feel like putting a, a keyboard on an iPad is sort of like putting a... Uh, um, a, a mainsail on your uh, on on your on your car, you know, it's it's an alternative mode of transportation. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but hey, look, if you want to do it, I, I guess uh, more power to you. On the other hand, you know, it certainly makes um, a lot of uh, sense for people who are doing um, uh, text entry or um, uh, data entry on their iPads and need need a reliable way of inputting that information. But you know. Regardless of what one you go with, whether it's from Logitech or um, uh, Hammerhead or uh, iLove or any of the other companies that make these devices, ultimately, what makes it so jarring for me as an interface is that you will type on the keyboard, but you will still have to press your finger to the screen uh, to move your cursor around or to press buttons that are only on the screen. It's, it's a, it's a much less natural experience than it is to have your key, your hands on a keyboard and then move a couple of inches over uh, to a trackpad or a mouse and uh, move the cursor and, and click the buttons to do things. Of course, this dilemma with the touch keypad and the touch screen and a physical keyboard that takes you back to, of course, what Microsoft's trying to do with Surface, where they really want it to be used like a netbook. You know, you mount it up on the kickstand, and now they've got a two-position kickstand for the Surface 2. The keyboard is part and parcel of it. They don't, I guess, expect you to use the touchscreen except for functions that are related to touchscreens. 
Yeah, I think that Microsoft's implementation, their design concept with the Surface was fundamentally different than Apple was with the iPad. Uh, you know, uh, Steve Jobs famously said about the iPhone that um, if 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 you have to, or not about the iPhone, but about the iPhone's competitors, uh, if you have to use a stylus, you failed. It was an all or nothing approach towards the iPad as well. You know, that same um, that that same sort of philosophy uh, pervaded, which is if you have to use an external input device, whether it's a keyboard or a stylus, you failed. Over the years, a lot of people um, have grown to love external input devices for the uh, uh, for iOS products, and I mean, it, it's hard to argue with some of the uh, the art, for example, the really fine, beautiful art that's been produced on the iPad uh, by artists who use um, styluses. Uh, from companies like Pogo, for example. And it's hard to argue with them and say, you know what, you're doing it wrong because you're not using your finger. They're obviously doing it right and they're doing wonderful work. Uh, likewise, it's, it's hard to argue that, that uh, a keyboard as an input device for an iPad is very helpful. But ultimately, the iOS interface is not optimized for using an external input device um, to interact with what's going on the screen. You ultimately have to bring your finger back to the screen, like I said, to move the cursor or to do other things. Um, and in that respect, uh, the Surface is a little bit different. You know, Microsoft designed the Surface from the ground up to work either as a tablet or as a makeshift, makeshift laptop. And we've seen a lot of... Um, of Microsoft's uh, uh, vendors, uh, the companies that, that build hardware around Microsoft products, um, have uh, adopted a hybrid approach. You know, they've, they've come up with laptops that can also work as tablets. They're trying uh, the, to be the, all things to all people, just as mm -hmm. our advertisers are, because they want your patronage. We have Peter Cohen joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio. DreamHost.com radio. American gardeners and fellow patriots make the right choice with your money, time, and your family food supply. Choose 100% pure heirloom seeds in the Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. Why spend more? The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com is only $37.95 and includes 20 varieties of pure, hardy, easy-to-grow heirloom seeds. Yes, only $37.95. That's 70% less than our competitors. You could buy three Survival Seed Vaults for less than one of theirs. The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. 
Seed.com includes detailed planting and seed-saving instructions and ships same day. Plus, all orders over $49 ship free. MyPatriotSupply.com is American-owned by patriots like you, passionate about freedom and preparedness. Call now, 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. Or discover more emergency preparedness items when you order at MyPatriotSupply.com. Choose the original. Choose the Survival Seed Vault at MyPatriotSupply.com. If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now, thanks to Dan Pillow, you can get the tax help you need to end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pillow. I've helped thousands of people reduce or eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. With the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. These days, so many suffer from heartburn, stomach ulcers, and acid reflux, and most never realize it is the high acidity within the body that causes their discomfort. While selective diet choices can help, AlkaVision Plasma pH drops can really make a change. A few drops added to water can optimize your body's pH level, ridding you of harmful waste and acid, promoting health and restoring vibrance and energy. Healthy pH levels make all the difference. High acidity can also cause depression, insomnia, and irritability. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops bring you vital balance that can be truly life-changing. Alkalizing boosts immune response, reduces headaches and cramping, and even helps prevent bone loss. This is simple science that helps your body do what's natural. Order your AlkaVision pH Drops for just $29.95 at AlkaVision.com, A-L-K-A-Vision.com, or call 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body, supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen next. Peter Cohen joins us. He's from iMore.com, where he's managing editor. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live and we've been talking about Mavericks and about free apps versus paid apps like the iWork Suite, about the convertible tablet, which is, it's a tablet, it's a notebook. Gosh, I don't know what it is, but they don't seem to be doing very well. Is it because partly price or is it because the work scheme of jumping back between keyboard, touchpad, and touchscreen is just too awkward? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't. Well, certainly the market doesn't seem to be doing very well in terms of that kind of product. Yeah, but you've got to wonder if it's because there's something wrong with the device itself or in the way that it's being marketed or just because the momentum isn't behind it because um, so many people have uh, allied themselves with, uh, uh, with, with competing products. 
you know, there are a lot of factors to consider. I don't think that 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 one methodology is inherently superior to anything else. I think it really depends on how the product is made and how it's designed from the ground up. I mean, if you've ever used a Surface, admittedly, the original Surfaces, I, I don't think were were really uh, ideal machines. But uh, but uh, but Microsoft has, has come a long way since then with the Surface uh, the Surface Two devices, and, and they're very usable devices. And likewise, the the new generation of hybrid uh, laptops uh, and tablets are very useful devices. Uh, we in the Apple ecosystem. You know, are still working uh, with fundamentally different devices. We've got our Macs and we've got our iOS devices, and uh, never the twain shall meet. But Apple's approach, um, you know, to that is to try to make um, the transition between those two devices as seamless as possible by thoroughly integrating iCloud in all of the apps and, and uh, as part of the basic ecosystem uh, by creating that binary compatibility between file formats that I was talking about in an earlier segment. You know, just by making that 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 veil between the operating systems and between the devices as transparent as it possibly can be, within reason. It's not trying to iOSify OS ten, and it's not trying to OS tenify iOS, but it's just trying to make that transition as seamless as possible. Understanding these are two different devices, you interact with them differently. But you want to make it so that if you have to jump from one to the other, which is what Apple hopes, you don't go through this having to relearn everything. I guess that's one of the reasons why, for example, after a while, the keyboard, the physical keyboard for Macs basically have the same feel as the keyboard on the notebooks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which is something, of course, the other companies never consider. You know, it's not even on their radar. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, Apple's attention to detail is famous, you know, and I don't think we've seen that slip up, slip off too too much uh, since uh, Steve Jobs' unfortunate passing a few years ago. But um, uh, you know, Apple does put a lot of thought into uh, into the design of these things that isn't apparent uh, when you look at many of the products of its competitors. iOS seven. There've been four maintenance updates. We're at seven point zero point four now. I still see issues with the iCloud keychain, freaky issues, which I'll mention to you. What's your assessment, though, of iOS 7? Do you think it's, in terms of reliability, as good as the others? More troubled? What? Well, iOS 7 was obviously a major change from the interface standpoint. You know, it, it, it reinvented the way that iOS looked, and uh, that caused no end of consternation to a lot of users. Um, and it's, it, it, you know, Apple's taken its lumps for some of the things, you know, in particular, um, uh, users with vestibular issues, you know, people who um, get vertigo or, or, or get dizzy quickly, um, uh, noticed that the new zooming effects and um, the parallax effects and some of the new visual uh, effects that were built into iOS were making them seasick, making them just making it very unpleasant to use. Uh, and, you know, I, I think Apple kind of gets lost in its own cuteness sometimes with some of these effects and, uh, you know, doesn't give uh, a lot of thought to the wider ramifications of it. And that's something that they corrected with a point update. You know, it's something, it's something that they were able to to fix with some, uh, uh, some new system enhancements. And, uh, you know, since then we've seen them periodically um, uh, update, mainly for bug fixes, though. And that's inevitable when you get as major an update as iOS 7 was, which was produced on as quick as timetable 
table as iOS 7 was. It was inevitable that there were going to be some compatibility issues um, and some problems to work out. You know, same applies to Mavericks. You're dealing with mountains of code, millions of lines of code. Um, so I don't want to sound like an Apple apologist here, but I'm also realistic. I don't expect any, uh, any major update of any operating system for any platform to work flawlessly on day one. Well, I will go back to the iCloud keychain, and let me explain what this means to people. It began with Mavericks, and now it works with iOS 7, beginning with 7.0.3, and revise a little bit with the latest update. And what it means is that in the cloud, your passwords, and also credit card numbers, by the way, although they don't add that three-digit verification number from the back, these are all stored. And in theory, then, you could use them regardless of each device. Unfortunately, what I found is when you engage iCloud Keychain on my iPhone 5S, for example, obviously the latest and greatest iPhone, what happens? Well, suddenly it puts in the wrong username sometimes. And when you want to fix it, as you delete a character, it takes like 10 seconds for each character to delete. Have you noticed that? No, I haven't, actually. I've noticed some other weirdness with iCloud Keychain, but not that specifically. It works fine on the Mac. And I leave it enabled on the Mac. But I won't run them on the other stuff yet. What kind of problems have you seen? Well, uh, most specifically, I've seen iCloud Keychain just not populating where it should. And, uh, you know, password fields that that it's supposed to work in, uh, which (laughs) has caused... Itchier problems, and also iCloud Keychain isn't supported ubiqu- ubiquitously yet. Um, so uh, you know, some websites work with it, some don't. Um, I I don't know what Apple's going to do over time uh, to improve that, but I sure hope something because it's the technology that I very much want to use. Um, but um, it's something that I've been a bit held up in using so far. Another thing is that um, just getting iCloud Keychain to activate was a little bit tricky. You had to go into um, uh, your iCloud settings in on your phone and uh, and turn it on before it would work, even after the iCloud update was installed. So I'm sure that that's caused some uh, users who don't necessarily pay attention to details some issues as well, or just caused them to ignore the feature altogether, which quite frankly, under the circumstances, based on what you and I are talking about, maybe the best solution right now. I think it'll get there, but it's going to need a few more fixes. In the interim, I'm continuing to use, you know, passwords that I can remember, which are undoubtedly not nearly as uh, as uh, as uh, secure as they should be, uh, simply because I know I can enter them regardless of what computer that I'm on. Oh, and that's another thing, too iCloud Keychain is great if you're a Mac user running Mavericks and you're using iOS 7 devices. But what happens if you're not using an iOS 7 device? What happens if you're a Mac user who's uh, working on a Nokia phone or uh, an Android phone? Well, iCloud Keychain is a non-player, so you've got to have some other solution uh, for managing your password. And likewise, if you're not using Mavericks or um, if you're using a PC, um, iCloud Keychain is a non-starter. So this is a solution that only works if you are well-invested in Apple's ecosystem. Which is the purpose of it. Arguably, yes. Arguably, they brought that in as another enticement to say, look, if you keep your purchases within the Apple ecosystem, you get your iCloud keychain, not just for your Mac, but one of these days, if they ever get the bugs fixed, it'll work for your iPad and your iPhone. 
but not today. But again, that's the same. But with iWork, it's different. With iWork, whatever gives you internet access, even a Linux machine, in theory, you could join iCloud and sign up and be able to share documents with a Mac and with an iPad, with an iPhone. Peter Cohen of iMore.com joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Welcome back to Secrets to Saving. Jen, you're saving $300 a month. What's your secret? Sam, I called the National Mortgage Connection. They connected me with a great lender who refinanced my home loan into a much lower rate. Plus, they didn't charge me any closing costs, no escrow fees, no origination fee, and no credit report fee. Let's go to Chuck now. I called National Mortgage Connection, too. I also refinanced into a lower rate, and now I'm saving around $3,000 a year. And they refinanced me even though I was underwater on my mortgage. It's no secret that a lower interest rate means a lower payment, which means you save money. And saving is sexy. With the record low rates, you've got to call NMC now. They're a referral service that connects homeowners with a pre-screened lender offering no closing cost loans. And you can refi even if you're underwater. Call 866-507-2055. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. 
A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even though I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Peter Cohen of iMore.com joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Looking at iOS 7. What's the most troublesome thing that you've encountered? Let's start from the negative before we go to the positive. The most troublesome thing that I've encountered? I don't know. I haven't had any showstoppers. I've had some things that I don't like, but I haven't had any showstoppers, Gene. I think that's the worst of it. Now, my wife has a third-generation iPad, and she gets some slowdowns, to be blunt. What I did is I made the setting that turns off the visual effects active and that's if you go to general accessibility and you turn on reduce motion it gets rid of zooming and the parallax effect i don't care about the parallax effect but without zooming suddenly everything becomes instantaneous so she doesn't claim as much or complain as much and maybe she's just basically egging me on because she wants me to get her the new ipad a new ipad air you know, yeah. it's it's actually, it's good that you bring that up, Gene. I, I guess I, I don't have any showstoppers to share with you, but if there's one implementation issue that I would take issue with with Apple, it's that, you know, iPad 2s and definitely iPhone 4s are really edge cases when it comes to iOS 7. They're devices that don't really run it that spectacularly. I also have a third-generation iPad. This is the the one that was only out for about, what, six months, I think, seven months maybe, um, that uses the A5X chip. It was supplanted by the fourth-generation iPad later uh, in, uh, in 2012. Uh, that's the same one that your wife's using, correct? Yes, the third-generation one. Right, the, the first Retina display model that, that everybody forgets about. That machine, obviously, Apple moved from it as quickly as it could. Obviously, there are some design issues there that Apple just wasn't happy with, uh, maybe with the A5X chip or some other internal element that, uh, that caused grief. But I know uh, from my talk with developers that developers have had a tough time optimizing uh, applications, especially real processor-intensive stuff like games for that particular system. But I wish that Apple had handled the rollout of iOS 7 in a different way. You know, in addition to my work at IMWR and freelance writing and uh, talking to podcasts like yours, Gene, I also spend my weekends working in an Apple reseller, an independent reseller in my area. During the first few weeks of iOS 7's rollout, we got a lot of customers who came in the store who just saw that there was a software update 
to install and installed it, not understanding that it was going to be a major change. And Apple offers no backwards compatibility. Once you get on iOS 7, you're done. You can't downgrade to iOS 6. Um, Apple removes the ability in the server for you to downgrade to iOS 6. It's a one-way trip. I wish that Apple had either... Uh, provided a, an ability for people, especially on older devices, to uh, downgrade if they upgraded and discovered that it was uh, a problem or figured out some way of making sure that customers knew that A, this was a one-way trip, and B, that this was a major change. Because I think Apple expected a little bit too much that either people weren't going to have a problem with the iOS 7 transition or wouldn't mind the changes. But when you get edge cases like the iPhone 4 and even the iPad 2, it doesn't run nearly as well as it does on newer machines. You end up having to do what you did on your iPad 3, which is turn off some of the visual effects, for example, to get some of that speed back. So that's something that's left, I think, a sour taste in, in, in some people's mouths, uh, for good reason. I think Apple tends to be a little optimistic about that. But part of the reason is that until September, they were selling the iPhone 4. So you don't want to say, hey, you're still selling a product. Suddenly we have a new operating system and it's not compatible. That's not politically correct. You can say the previous model, but you can't do it with that. Yes. Yes, indeed. So at least they provided part of that, although I think maybe it would have gone better just to disable the effect of zooming, because we know Parallax is not supported in the iPhone 4. Just disable the zooming for the older hardware. Don't even bother with it. Right, exactly. You know, they could have scaled the preferences depending on what kind of uh, system was being worked with. That would have been a perfectly valid solution. But, you know, not providing that backward, that that, that ability to, to downgrade um, is something that Apple has never done. Uh, so it's not out of character for them to do it. But, you know, I think iOS 7 may, sh- sh- may have warranted an exception to that because it was such a major change for so many people to deal with. Of course, that requires an extra engineering step. And you must agree with me that this was put out pretty fast. In- this was put out pretty fast, absolutely. Now, it's possible that a lot of it was already under construction and maybe most of what they did was simply moving the interface into a somewhat different direction. Well, no, I mean, there are a lot of other changes to, 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 to iOS 7 besides just the interface. That's no, the I most understand remarkable that. Thing. What I'm saying is here is that these changes were underway prior to the executive changeovers. Oh, uh, Apple. When, when but Johnny what they Ive did is the when they brought in Jonathan Ive to supervise it, he concentrated more on the look and the feel as opposed to the stuff under the surface. I, I can't talk on that uh, on that account. I don't know how involved I was with we don't. Uh, the underlying design changes. It doesn't mean that they started working on it the day after he took over. Obviously, there was something going on, and it was a question of how much it had to change. Well, looking at this holistically, it's not like um, uh, the, the, the progression here was releasing iOS 6, firing Scott Forstall, uh, putting Johnny Ive in charge of, of all design at Apple, and then getting started on iOS 7. You know, Apple's uh, development, and, and this, is, this is not just specific to Apple. I'm not telling any tales out of school here. That this is consistent with development of Microsoft and any other company that does major software development. They've already got a roadmap for iOS 8, and they've already started laying the groundwork for iOS 8. Uh, they've already got a, uh, the, the groundwork laid for OS 10 version 10.10 um, and beyond as well. 
uh, and they've already started laying the foundation for the technology that they're using in that. So yeah, no, it's 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 just a matter of common sense if you understand how software development works to understand that many of the changes, the under the hood changes in iOS seven, have been planned for quite some time uh, prior to the design changes. Um, that have dominated the discussion about what's changed in the new version. There you go. And you have to think also, will there be more interface changes forthcoming in OS 10.10 or whatever it's called, because there wasn't enough time? Yeah, I mean, you know, 10.9 to 10.10, I think that that when Mavericks came out, um, initially, superficially, some people were disappointed because it wasn't as significant a goalpost move um, as iOS 7 was. You know, it looked like the same old operating system that you've been using. Sure, there were some tweaks here and there. You know, you have uh, the the tabbed um, uh, windows in the Finder, which work the same way that they do on Safari. So you no longer have to create a new window for um, every... uh, uh, folder that you want to look inside of. Um, uh, tagging. Uh, you know, tagging has been added to the operating system. And you've got a notification center that's actually the envy of iOS users because you can actually respond to notifications directly uh, from the notification center, which is something that you can't do um, in, in, in iOS 7. So, uh, you know, Apple innovates on one end, Apple innovates on the other. Uh, I have no doubt that there are changes in store for 10.10. How radical they're going to be, though, um, is, is a different question. You know, uh, I, I think uh, Mac users... Um, um, uh, may be in for a little bit of a surprise with 10.10, but I, I don't think it'll be, um, I, I don't think it's necessary on the desktop uh, side of things to reinvent things quite the same way that they had um, on, on the mobile end of things. Peter Cohen, please tell our listeners where they can find more of the things that you do. Ah, you can find me at imore.com and um, on Twitter, if you're, if that is uh, how you like to get a hold of people, at Flarg, F-L-A-R-G-H. And someday we'll do three shows on why he chose that name. <laughs> you Never. can find us on Twitter. We're known as Tech Night Owl. We're Tech Night Owl at Twitter. You go to technighthowl.com to check our portal where you can download... Just about every episode of the Tech Night Out Live for the past, I don't know, six years, six, seven years. A lot of old stuff in there if you really care. We have another radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night called the Powercast. This weekend, featuring Brad Steiger, prolific author of all things paranormal at Powercast.com. And here on the Tech Night Out Live, Peter Cohen, thanks for joining us on the show. As always, Gene, thank you very much for having me. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.